Well, I just love the fact that uh, our pastor encouraged us to give more sugar to our kids in the services. <laughs> that will create less distraction. It's so good to see you this morning. And I am truly honored to fill this pulpit uh, in the place of our pastor. Pray for he and his family as they are on vacation in Florida this week. They uh, picked a great week to go to Florida, didn't they? <laughs> but uh, just pray that they'll enjoy their time nonetheless. And uh, I want to encourage you, especially if you're a guest, to be back next week. Our pastor's taking us through the book of Philippians in a series entitled Together for the Gospel. And we are learning a lot about what it means to be as a church family living in community together and living on mission together. And so I would encourage you to be back next Sunday morning as he'll be back in the pulpit. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, I want you to take them out and open to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at verses 35 through 38 together. The title of my message this morning is, His Heart, My Mission. His Heart, My Mission. The Lord has been teaching me a great deal lately about having His heart for the lost around us and the lost of this world. And as Pastor Josh just said in his video, this summer we are dedicating this summer and the, the Wednesday nights this summer to being uh, committed to reaching out to those in our own community. And I hope that you'll be with us this coming Wednesday night at 615 up in the high school theater as we launch Summer on Mission, as we learn about the great commission of God and how that applies to our lives. But this morning, I want us to consider not simply the importance of our mission, but the heart behind our mission. You see, we can simply go through the motions and do the mission of God out of duty and obligation, but I believe that God calls us to something more than that. I believe that God calls us to be an expression of his heart to those around us, to the lost around us. You may have seen the movie Schindler's List. It's a very gripping story about Oscar Schindler and his commitment and investment of his fortune and his time to save uh, thousands of Jews in Hitler's Holocaust. At the end of that movie, there's a very uh, sobering scene, a very emotional scene as Schindler is there with those Jews gathered around him. And he begins to weep. And he looks at his watch and he says, if, if I would have just sold this watch, I could have saved at least three more. And then he looks at his car and he says, I, I, I could have sold my car and that would have saved another ten. And he just breaks down and falls to his knees and he says, I could have done more. This morning, I want you to understand that even though that scene depicts a man that is moved by something larger than his own comfort, goals, and agendas, that we have a mission and a responsibility far more important. I want to remind you that in this world today, on this planet we call Earth, there are some 7 billion occupants. 7 billion people occupy planet Earth. And out of those 7 billion people, get this, 3 billion of them are unreached. Now when we use that term unreached, we mean that they have little or no access to the gospel. They may not have the scriptures written in their language. There may not be an indigenous church that's worshiping and teaching the Bible in that language. In fact, missiologists tell us that to be classified as unreached means that less than 2% of the population are evangelical Christians. 
In fact, over the last couple of months, I've had the opportunity to be in both Nepal and Japan, and both of these are classified as unreached countries. In fact, the nation of Japan has 126 million residents. 98% of the population of Japan is unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nepal has some uh, 29 million residents, and 97% of those residents are unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, listen. I know those are statistics, but those statistics represent people, many of whom will be born, live their entire lives, and die without ever once hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should grip our hearts. That should do more than grip our hearts. That ought to break our hearts. Well, but about our own nation? Aren't we a Christian nation, right? Well, let me give you some statistics from the Barna Research Group about the unchurched in America. 33% of Americans are unchurched. They have zero church affiliation, a third of all Americans. Of the, those, the, the two-thirds that do attend a church or are on a church roll, 20% of those believe that living a good life will gain them a place in heaven. Now, do the math with me for a moment. That means that 53% of all Americans are lost. I believe that statistic's higher. But over half don't know Jesus Christ personally as their Lord and Savior. I love what Pastor Rick Ezel says. He says of the nearly 7 billion people in the world, it is estimated that over 30 million people worldwide will die without Christ this year. Now, let me stop. There's more to that quote. 30 million. Now, I I did the math. I just divided that out by 365. It comes to 80, some 82,000 plus. That means that you could fill Mercedes-Benz Stadium every single day of the year. And that's the number of people who will die and go into a Christless eternity. Does that not grip you? Does that not concern you? It ought to. He goes on to say, and of the over 300 million people in this country, it's estimated that 41% of the people, uh, of 41% of people are radically unchurched. That means they don't go to a church at all. Not at Easter or at Christmas or to weddings or funerals. They do not darken the doors of a church at any time during the year. And if they were to die, they would go into eternal punishment without ever knowing the love of Christ. This ought to burden and grip our hearts, but it ought to raise the question, what are we willing to do about it? And this morning, I want us to see in Scripture how Jesus felt about the lost and exactly what he did. And so we're going to look at this text in Matthew chapter 9. Let's read it together, beginning in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and healing and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's just stop and pray for a moment. God, I pray this morning that you would take your word and illuminate our hearts and minds. Help us to see it. Help us to understand it. And most importantly, Lord, help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. This morning, I want us to consider four ways that the heart of God should compel us or lead us or motivate us into the mission of God. Unless we see and value people the way Jesus does, we will never be effective in the mission of God. I want to say that again. Unless we see and value people the way Jesus does, we will never, ever, ever be effective in the mission of God. Oh, we can go out and knock on doors. We can go visit folks, but we'll never be effective unless our heart beats like Jesus does. So let's look at these four ways that the heart of God compels us to the mission of God. Number one, his heart compels us to speak. Now, think about this. Have you ever noticed that we talk about the things that we care about? Don't we? I mean, we talk about it. Uh, in fact, I was just thinking about social media this week. People post a lot on social media, and they post things that they care about typically. You see a lot of baby pictures, don't you, on social media? Because we're proud of our family. We want, we want people to see what our kids are involved in. We, we post things uh, about our pets on social media because we care about our pets, don't we? Uh, a lot of people post things about politics on social media. And let me just tell you, be really careful when you do that, all right? Trust me. But we post those things. Why? Because we care about those things. And sometimes we even post things about our faith on social media because we talk about the things that we care about. But notice that Jesus did the same thing. He talked about things that he cared about. Verse 35, look again. Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel. I want you to circle those words, teaching and proclaiming. The word proclaim there means to announce a message with the goal to persuade, urge, or warn. In other words, the gospel message clearly mattered to Jesus. I mean, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. And so when Jesus went out and talked to people, he talked about what mattered to him. And what mattered to him was the sacrifice that he came to make because the Father loved people. And so Jesus went around and he began to teach the scriptures and he began to proclaim. He began to urge people, persuade people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And can I just say this? If there's no gospel message, then there's no gospel mission. Where there's no message, there's no mission, right? In other words, the mission of God is not about our good works or our efforts. The mission of God is about what God, through Christ, has come to do for sinners. I've heard people say, and it's been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, I don't know if it's true or not, who said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. That's ridiculous, okay? You can't preach the gospel without words because the gospel is a message. It would be similar to saying, share with me your phone number, and if necessary, use digits. Okay, it doesn't work, right? I mean, the gospel is about a message from God. Listen, your actions, my actions are important, but you will never lead someone to Christ by simply living a good life in front of them. Our lifestyle is not the gospel. Now, it's important that you live a good life so that people will be, so that the gospel will be, will be validated by the way that you live, but it is so important that we don't substitute living a good life for speaking the truth of the gospel. 
So what then is the gospel? Well, very simply put, the gospel is the good news or good report of what God has done to reconcile sinful people through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. It's what Jesus has accomplished for us, not what we accomplish for him. I love what Austin Gentry says. He says, the primary Christian mission is its message, not its morals. And significantly enough, the message of Christianity is not about the good things that you have done or will do for God, but about the good things that Christ has done and will ever do for you. In other words, Christianity is primarily a message about the fact that God sent his son to rescue people from their sin and eternal punishment. And Jesus proclaimed the gospel because he knew that it was their greatest need. He loved them enough, listen, to tell them the truth so that brings up a question we have people all around us that don't know Christ you have family members that don't know Jesus you you have co-workers that don't know Jesus you have neighbors that don't know Jesus let me just ask you this do you love them enough to tell them the truth Do do we care enough about their eternity that we're willing to risk being a little awkward or a little uncomfortable to warn them, to proclaim to them this good news message that Jesus has come to rescue them? How many of you have heard of Penn and Teller? They're a magic and comedy act in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. They travel around doing their shows. Well, Penn Gillette is an avowed atheist, And he talks about being in, uh, or after a show, being down and meeting some of the members of his audience. And he said he noticed a man kind of standing off to the side, just kind of waiting for the crowd to clear out. And Pendulette says that, that when the crowd began to clear out, this man came up to him. And he described this man as being very genuine, very sincere. He said he wasn't weird, he wasn't awkward, but he handed him a Gideon New Testament. And he said, uh, Mr. Gillette, I really enjoyed your show. I appreciate the, the, the act that you have put on here tonight. And, and I just want to give you this. Jesus Christ has changed my life, and I believe he wants to change your life as well. Now, Penn Gillette is still an atheist, but I want you to listen to a quote from Penn Gillette about his encounter with this particular man. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell and not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize and who say they should just leave me alone and keep religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to really hate somebody to believe in everlasting life and not tell them that. I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you, and I didn't believe that that truck was bearing down on you, and and, and you didn't believe that that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point that I would tackle you. And this is much more important than that. Oh, my goodness. Do Do you hear what this atheist is saying? He's saying, if you really believe what you say you believe, you better do everything you can to declare that to people that you love and care about. I can, I can still remember going to my father-in-law, who at the time was not a believer, and I had known him for several years. 
and had never shared the gospel. And God began to convict me and break my heart that I'd never told my father-in-law about Jesus. And he came to an Easter production that we were doing at our church in Texas at the time. And I remember going out to him at the parking lot. I said, Dad, I want to I ask for your forgiveness. He said, for what? I said, I've known you for several years now. And I've never told you about the most important relationship in my life. And I shared with him about Jesus. Thank God my father-in-law is a Christian now. But you know, there are people in your life that don't know Christ. And I believe with all of my heart that God has put you in their life to share with them this message, to speak this truth of the gospel to them. Will you love them enough? Will you love your neighbors enough to tell them the truth? There is someone needs to hear the gospel, and you need to be the ambassador of Christ to tell them. His heart compels us to speak. I want us to look at the second truth here in this text. His heart compels us to serve. Look at verse 35. Again, the latter part, it says that he was healing every disease and affliction. The word healing there is an interesting word. It's a Greek word that uh, is, is therapeo. It was where we get our word therapy. It's not simply physical healing, but can be translated to serve or restore to a right condition. I want you to notice that in verse 35, Jesus is not only declaring the gospel, he's not only speaking the gospel, but he's demonstrating the gospel as well. In fact, that was the normal pattern for Jesus. Jesus stepped into people's brokenness. Jesus stepped into people's messiness, and he brought restoration and healing. I mean, think about it. I just wrote down a few examples. How about the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 who had five husbands, was an outcast, but Jesus stepped into her brokenness and Jesus stepped into her mess and he changed her life. Or how about the adulterous woman in John chapter 8 about to be stoned, publicly humiliated, publicly shamed. What does Jesus do? He steps right into her brokenness. He steps right into her mess and he brings healing and restoration. How about the demon-possessed man in Luke chapter 8 who lived in a graveyard, was a complete outcast from society? What does Jesus do? He steps into that man's mess. He steps into that man's brokenness, and he restores him, and he makes him whole. That's what our Lord does. He doesn't shy away from messy people. He doesn't shy away from broken people. No, he's attracted, actually, to the messy people. He's attracted to the broken people. And I believe if we are going to be the kind of people that are going to be effective in the mission of God, then we have to be an expression of the heart of God to the broken people all around us. And we have broken people around us all the time. Um, it was Urban McManus that said, effective ministry is impossible when you cannot make whole disciples out of broken people. I was thinking about my own story. You know, as a teenager, I, I did not know Christ. But there was a group of believers at First Baptist Church, Missouri City, Texas, that began to welcome me in. And I was lonely. I didn't fit in. I mean, I, I had zits all over my face. I was just not, you know, I wasn't in the cool crowd. I know it's hard for you to believe that now, you know. I mean, really. Uh, but I wasn't. But that group came around me. And they weren't, you know, afraid to be my friends, even, even though uh, I wasn't living for God at the time. They invested in me. They loved me. They served me. They cared about me. And through their influence and witness, I became a follower of Jesus Christ. 
I can't thank God enough for the believers who are willing to love me in my brokenness so that I could be introduced to Jesus. Listen, one of the most powerful demonstrations of the gospel is when you step into someone's brokenness, into their hurt, into their loneliness, and into their pain, and you begin to show them unconditional love. When I was in Japan last week, I met a girl named Yumi. Yumi and her family moved to Kentucky when Yumi was a teenage girl. She didn't speak much English at all. And she went to school and didn't fit in. People kind of made fun of her. Here's this Japanese girl, doesn't fit in and doesn't speak, uh, doesn't speak English. But there was a group of believers at a local church that began to invite Yumi to their gatherings. And Yumi, as I was, she was sharing her story with me, began to talk about the fact that these, these believers began to really love on her and show her unconditional love. They began to serve her. And she said, over time, I realized that I want what they have. And now Yumi, 11 years later, is a follower of Jesus back in Japan, sharing her faith with her own people. Why? Because there was a group of people willing to step into Yumi's life and to love her and to serve her with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Jesus, that's the way he is. He serves us not for his benefit, but for ours. His heart compels us to serve others and enter to their brokenness. Here's the third truth I want us to see this morning. His heart compels us to care. Look at verse 36. I want you to see the weightiness of this verse for just a moment. The Bible says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I've been convicted by verse 36 lately. When Jesus looked upon the crowds, when he looked upon the broken, when he looked upon the lost, his heart was filled with compassion. That word compassion is an interesting word. The Greek word is splanknos. Kind of just sounds hard, doesn't it? Splanknos. And it means this. It means to feel from the gut. It's a, it connotes a deep emotional response to the plight of others. In other words, when Jesus was looking upon the multitudes in this particular passage and even in others, the Bible tells us that he felt physical discomfort, physical and emotional pain over their plight, over their spiritual condition. In other words, his heart was breaking for the lost. Now, that kind of emotion doesn't come really easy for me. Karen is more of the feeler in our relationship and in our marriage. But I've been asking God to break my heart for the lost. I've been asking God to help me see people the way he sees people. Not as they look on the outside, not of being put together, but of people who Jesus loves and he came to die for. I want God to break my heart. And I really believe that God wants to do that for all of us as his family, as his body. He wants us to, to deeply care about the lost among us. This is what Paul had for his people. I love this passage out of Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Paul says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul's saying, I, I, I'm so broken for my people 
that, that I would be willing to give up my own salvation for them to be saved. I mean, I, I can't get my head around that. But I'm asking God, God, give me your heart for the lost. When I pray for people that don't know Christ, family members that I know, neighbors that I have, for the nations that are still yet unreached, break my heart. Let me ask you this. When is the last time you wept over a family member that doesn't know Jesus? When's the last time you shed a tear for your neighbors who are lost and on their way to hell? When is the last time you your heart broke over a people group who, who many of them don't have a Bible in their language. They have no access at all to the gospel. God, break our hearts for the lost. Help us to see people the way you see people. Help us to weep over the things that you weep over. Now, I know this is heavy this morning, but I want it to be because I believe it is heavy in Scripture. I believe that there is a compulsion that God has called us to, to love others with the gospel well. In order for us to care about lost people, though, I want you to see the second part of this text. We've got to see them the way Jesus does. The Bible tells us why Jesus had compassion upon them. It says because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Literally, that means torn and thrown down. Jesus saw these people, and they were, tor- they were just broken people, torn, thrown down. Think about it. There are people all around us who've been torn and thrown down by the enemy. Marriages that are broken, family relationships that are strained, people that are addicted to alcohol and drugs, people who are feeling lonely and isolated, people who are gripped with fear and anxiety. It was Ralph Waldo Emerson that said, people are living lives of quiet desperation. I think he's spot on. There may be some of you in this room this morning that are just like that, living lives of quiet desperation. And the question is, are we willing to step into their lives? Are we willing to be effective in God's mission? If we are, then we must be an expression of God's heart. Jesus cares about people. Listen, he does. And he's calling us to care about them too. I believe there's someone in your life that you need to be an expression of God's love to. You need to show care to this week. It may be dropping a note to someone that doesn't know Christ. It may be giving them a Bible. It may be taking a meal to a lost neighbor. It may be taking time just to listen and value that coworker that doesn't know Christ. Listen, we got to slow down. If we're going to minister to people and care about people the way Jesus does, we got to slow down. People are not projects. People, you know, one of the things that I struggle with sometimes is seeing people as an annoyance to my agenda. I, I'm not the only one that's like that. You know, I've got a schedule today. I've got a, I've got a to-do list to accomplish today. People can be a distraction. People can be an annoyance. Can I just remind us? People are the mission. Not your to-do list. Have you ever stopped to think that maybe God brought that distraction into your life? Because he wants you to be an agent of his grace in that moment to that person. People are our mission. And his heart compels us to care. Fourth and finally, I want us to see this and we'll close. His heart compels us to go. 
The heart of Jesus for his church is to be an expression of his heart to the world. And in verse 37 and 38, he gives the mission to his people. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. I want you to notice there are two ways that we're to be involved in the mission of God. Number one is to pray. Verse 38, pray earnestly. We can translate that to mean to beg, like beg God. For more laborers, yes, but we need to, we need to beg God for souls. And, you know, I was thinking where he, where he says there, pray earnestly the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into the harvest field. Yes, we need to, we need to pray that God will send more missionaries. We need more people to go. We do. We, we've got teams going out later this year. We, we, I've got missionaries in South Asia right now who are saying, Sky, can you please send a team to go into some villages in the Himalayas to take the gospel to people who are unengaged and unreached with the gospel? We, we need to pray for laborers to go. But, but can I just say this too? Maybe we need to be the answer to our prayers. In other words, as we're praying for God to send more laborers, we need to be praying, God, send me, like Isaiah did. God, use me. We need, to, we need more laborers to go out. Uh, Pastor Josh said in the video, we, we're going to be targeting 5,000 households within a five-mile radius of this church. It's a lot of homes. And during three Wednesday nights during July, we're going to go out and visit those homes and show and demonstrate the love of Christ to them. We need more laborers to be a part of that if we're going to reach all of those households this summer. Pray, ask God, but be willing to be an answer to that prayer. And then secondly, I see here, there's the the command to go. He says to send out laborers into the harvest field, meaning to thrust out for a purpose. Listen, I'm so thankful that Prince Avenue is a sending church. I really am. I mean, being able to be with our missionaries all around the world and love on them and care for them and, and see that they, they have been sent out from this church and they're going into those hard places around the world proclaiming the gospel, I'm so grateful to be a part of a sending church. But can I just tell you, I believe God wants us to be a sent church as well. It's not enough just for us on occasion to come up and lay hands on people and send them off. That's wonderful. We need to be a sent church. The mission of God is not for a select few. Let me be really clear about that. Now, that doesn't mean that God's calling everyone to move overseas and be a missionary. I do understand that. But I do believe with all of my heart that God is sending every single one of us to be on mission with him. To our neighbors, to our family, to our coworkers. Wherever we are, that we are an expression of the mission of God. And I believe that God is sending us out to fulfill his harvest. And I hope this summer you're going to be involved with us. I would love to see on Wednesday night this week that high school theater just packed out with people saying, hey, we want to be sent. We we want to learn. We want to grow. And we want to be sent. Send us, Lord. Wouldn't that be exciting? Because I believe that a church that is on mission with God is a church where Christ is honored and where where life and joy exist. So I hope you'll join us, and I hope you'll join the Lord as we go out. Let me wrap this up. 
I believe that the crux of all, is, all of this is that we need to see and value people the way Jesus does. And let me just offer a few practical steps. Number one, be willing to speak the gospel this week as God gives the opportunity. Just ask God, say, God, would you, would you give me someone this week that I could share the gospel with? Number two, look for opportunities to serve others with the love of Christ. Just maybe some practical way that God wants you to serve a neighbor or a coworker or a family member. Number three, ask God to give you his heart of compassion. God, break my heart for the lost. And then fourthly, pray that God would give you the opportunity to go into his mission. And that's what I want us to, I want to call us to this morning. I want to call us to a time of prayer during this invitation. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and we're going to begin to sing. And I hope that we will fill this altar here with prayers asking God, God, send us out. God, break our hearts for those around us that don't know Christ. God, give us your eyes to see the true condition of those around us. And Lord, help me to step into their brokenness. Help me to step into their messiness. Help me to be the one who's willing to declare your truth to them. So I want to call us to prayer this morning. And you may be here today and you may be in that place. You may be in that place of quiet desperation. You've got some things going on in your life and you feel alone and you feel isolated. Let me tell you this. God knows exactly where you are. And he knows exactly what you're going through. And can I just tell you this? I believe that he has a cart of compassion and care for you right where you are. And it may be today that you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I just urge you, give your life to Christ today. Trust me when I say this, and I believe that there would be people all over this auditorium that would echo this statement. There's nothing greater than knowing and following Jesus Christ. Nothing. There's nothing more joyful, nothing more satisfying, nothing more fulfilling than knowing Jesus Christ. And so if you don't know him today, I want to urge you, come today, follow Jesus. We'll help you. We're not going to single you out or embarrass you. We just want to give you some resources. We want to pray for you. We want to help you um, walk with Christ and follow him. Whatever your need is today, let's just come to the Lord. Let's come to the altar Let's pour our hearts out for him. Let's begin to beg God to give us his heart for the lost. Pray with me. Father, I pray today that you would take the truths of your word and that you would apply them to our lives, God. Lord, we can't force some false or phony emotion. We can't conjure up a feeling, Lord. But Lord, I believe as we begin to really understand people from your point of view and we begin to really understand the vastness of lostness around us and around the world Lord I believe that you'll break our hearts for that and Lord help us to go beyond just broken hearts Lord I pray that 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 sense of 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 brokenness Lord would compel us to to speak It would compel us to serve others. It would compel us to care for the needs of others. It would compel us to go out, Lord, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. So, Lord, today I pray that you just do your work 
among your people. Have your way with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.